Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We hope this podcast encourages you and points you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. Yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> we're going to pray. Let's go to God's word together. Uh, I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 25, if you would. Uh, if you've got a Bible app on your phone, you can go there. We've got the live event. If you just click more and click live or click event, I'm sorry, you can see Real Life Spokane. Follow along. My notes are there. Uh, our sermon uh, scriptures are there. Matthew chapter 25 is where we are today. I want to pray and we'll get right to it. Lord, we love you. Ah, we thank you for these moments together. We do thank you for the sunshine. So good, God. We need it. And uh, I just pray your presence would be here now, that your spirit would be moving, speaking, alive. God, there's people in here that don't know you. Jesus, would you draw them to yourself? Soften their hearts, God. Bring them to repentance, Lord. There's those in the room that have been discouraged and disconnected from you, God. I, I just pray your presence would just draw us all in to you today, God, and that your word would come alive None of us want to waste our time with an empty religious ritual, God. We want you here in a powerful way, God. And so uh, we just ask you to speak, lead, move, make your presence known, God. We love you and trust you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. So I was filling up my Jeep with gas this week. And uh, I stopped halfway <laughs> because I, I just couldn't bring myself to it. Like, it, it, like the thing was clicking up the price like so much that I was like, I don't think we can afford a full tank of gas. We had not had this in the budget. There is no way that we can, we can figure this out as a family. So I just stopped. And you think about the irony of stopping halfway. I'm still going to have to fill up next week with another half a tank. It's kind of like you're lying to yourself, Richie. You're, you're just tricking yourself, thinking like this is all better. It's not better. It is really expensive. Things are really bad. It's really uh, tumultuous. And, and I was just thinking about the, the irony of this. Like, you feel better, Richie, about your gas tank thing, but it's really not any better. Have this tendency, don't we? When things are tight, we kind of tighten up. When things are hard, we kind of withdraw. We, we kind of self-preserve. We try to make sure that our life is, it's not going to fall completely apart. And so we just, we just kind of shrink back from difficulty and, and hold on for it to all get better at some point and everything bad to just go away. And I think Jesus' church has been a, a conversation for us over the last eight weeks. We've been trying to figure this out. How is it? that through all kinds of difficulties in history, Jesus' church has continued to endure. We're here today as a miracle. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to 12 guys, now I want you to go do the same thing I did with you. Go make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That, that mission has always been Jesus' church mission, and there's been wars, there's been plagues, there's been persecution. Right now, across the globe, there's difficulty that Jesus' church is under massive pressure. We look at the last couple of years and we've been under pressure and you've been stressed and our finances are more stressed and there's this temptation. When things get hard, we shrink back. We, we self-preserve. We get more and more self-centered if we're not careful. How is it that Jesus' people have stayed strong through such difficulty? There's a leader in church history that inspires us. We've been looking at little snippets of history over the last several weeks together just to gain some perspective. We feel like our life is the center of the universe. 
And we are really small and insignificant when you really take a step back and look at history. There's a man named St. Martin of Tours. He was on his way into town uh, a means with uh, some friends. And there was a beggar, naked and, and absolutely wretched, asking for alms, asking for, for money. Martin had no money. But he took his cape, his kind of soldier's cape, his cloak, and he cut it in half. And he gave half of it to this, this wretched and poor beggar that was there on the street. That night as he settled into town, Martin actually had a vision, a dream of Jesus coming to him dressed in half of a soldier's cape. And Jesus said to Martin, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. This story gained popularity and and such momentum that Jesus' church began to understand that when things are difficult, we don't shrink back. We actually press into the needs that are around us and, and we step into those that are hurting and not run from them or judge them. And this momentum began to build in Jesus' church. We're in the late fourth century here is this story where St. Martin was. The next three centuries, the fourth, fifth, sixth century became this emergence of Jesus' church known as a place for those that are in need where they can find help, they can find healing, hospitals were birthed in the 6th century. Monasteries saw themselves not only as a place of spiritual development, but also meeting the real needs of people. They turned themselves into inns and eventually into hospitals where the government could not take care of the sick during the plagues of these centuries. Jesus' church rose up. When I look at this this place of history, I'm inspired to go, what has made Jesus' church so strong is this discipline of sacrifice and servanthood, of not turning inward and being self-serving and selfish with our lives, of self-preserving, only put half a tank in there and just hang on until this crisis goes away, but seeing, hey, how can my life, my family, my, this, this existence be a blessing to somebody else? Jesus' church has, has risen up in the face of difficulty and not shrunk back and just said simply, we're going to serve. And I think this is super powerful. Because it's, it's tempting to go, man, life's been hard lately. It is hard right now. I mean, some of you got crazy crisis going on. Whether it's a health issue, it's a financial issue, it's an addiction that you're struggling with. Maybe your marriage is really in trouble. At work, you're finding constant stress. You're uncertain about your future. It's so easy to let these things overwhelm us and cause us just to sit back. The danger is to insulate ourselves meeting our own needs, and taking care of only ourselves. But this is what will kill the church. This is what will kill your faith. Your faith, for many of you, feels weak and powerless because you have only been praying for yourself and about yourself. You haven't seen God show up in miraculous ways because you've just been consumed with what's in it for me and what I need and where I'm at And this is an invitation, this story in this passage in Matthew 25, to not allow ourselves to shrink back, but to step in. The 4th, 5th, and 6th century, the church was struggling too. History was hard. 536 still goes down as the hardest year in human history. We think 2020. 536, the Roman Empire was crumbling. Invaders from the north were, were taking over 
killing people. Plagues were killing people. Volcanoes erupting in the north. Meteors striking Australia. The entire globe covered by smoke for literally six months out of the year. Who would have not thought, Jesus, you must be coming back. Six months of darkness. Can you imagine? 536 still beats 2020. And yet Jesus' church rose up. Hospitals were started. The government couldn't handle the plague, and so the people of God stepped in. I love this picture. It's so inspiring for us to go, hey, are we going to be a people that get stuck retreating and insulating? Because if we do, we are not going to be a strong and enduring people. Jesus' church lasts when Jesus' people choose to get beyond themselves and serve. Matthew 25, Jesus sets the stage If you've got your Bible there, look at verse 31 with me. This is a passage that I'm going to try to break down with you because it's it's big. It's hefty, and it's important for us to, to hear Jesus' heart along with his words. So I want you to just imagine Jesus, not in a big preachy, condemning way, but Jesus in the one that's about to give his life for his friend's way. Hear him pleading. Hear him urging his church to recognize the kind of people that he wants us to be. Verse 31 says, when the son of man, he's speaking of himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. He's painting a picture here. It's the end of all things. Jesus has come back. He has gathered all of the 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 angels around him, there's this moment of massive glory. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will begin to separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, you're in. You, 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 you get in to the kingdom. Take your inheritance, the kingdom. It's prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous, these sheep on his right, they will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, need clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? This is the line from Martin's vision of Jesus. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also, they also will answer, I'll get these words. Don't worry. They will also answer. Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or a sick or in prison 
and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There's a weightiness to this passage that I think is appropriate. It's a weightiness of self-reflection. It's a weightiness of realizing, hey, my life, I need to put it into perspective for a second. Isn't it easy to get tunnel vision? You're watching the gas pump just click by, sweating about your finances. You're stressed about work. You're consumed with where your kids are at. You're overwhelmed by the brokenness in your family relationships. And just for a second, Jesus is like, hey, I want to lift your head. I want to lift your perspective. There's coming a moment at the end of all things when the Son of Man is going to sit on his throne in all of the glory of his angels and heaven and all of this amazing thing that you've been praying for, waiting for, looking forward to. It's happening now, and the king is going to begin to separate people one from another, sheep from the goats. This is a moment for us, real life, to just kind of take a deep breath and take a step back and go, okay, I need, I need a moment here to just self-reflect where I've been, where my head has been, where my heart is at, what it is that's really captivating my heart right now, my attention, my focus. It's easy, I, I don't know about you, but to kind of look at this passage and start to maybe get frustrated about brokenness around us. We see issues happening. Why isn't this better? Why aren't our city taking care of that, those people more? And why are our school systems this way? And what about our government and the wars and the things that are happening? We kind of get this rallied effect. And I just want to ask you to pause on all those thoughts for a moment this morning and self-reflect. Because Jesus' people and Jesus' church has been strong because Jesus' people make a personal decision about our obedience to the opportunities that God puts in front of us to meet the needs of people that are in our life. This is definitely a passage about judgment, which is kind of hard to talk about, but it's something that we have to talk about. Because the end is coming. And eternity is hanging in the balance And Jesus really is our king. And as we choose to follow him, he does have a hope and a requirement of our lives and a desire for us to walk in obedience to him. This day is coming. But what's so good about Jesus is he is the one who is judging everyone. He's the only one that is, has the criteria and the capability to actually be the judge. He is the one who walks sinless and perfect. He is the one who willingly laid his life down so that all of mankind, all of eternity could have freedom in him. He is the one who was willing to go first. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He is the one qualified to judge. And so he comes at this with an awareness of who he is and who we are. And for us just to kind of settle our hearts there and go, okay, if I'm breaking down this passage, this is one of the things that's important to just settle my heart on. Judgment is Jesus' job. If you're taking notes, you're writing stuff down, I want you to get this because it's easy to get kind of judgy ourselves when we see brokenness around us. Why are they like that? Well, if they wouldn't just, 
You have this sense of like justice that you long for in their life, but then instead of taking responsibility for it, we kind of project on them the reasons why they don't have what they need or their life is the way it is. And we we have this tendency to kind of sit in the seat of judgment, not the right spot for us. Jesus is the judge. That's his job. This is a conversation about you and your relationship with Jesus. And am I the kind of person that Jesus could call into the midst of a need, into a broken moment, and that he could trust me to go there with his heart, with his compassion, with a sense of selflessness, not what's in it for me and what am I going to get out of this, but God, how can I love, how can I serve, how can I meet the need of this person right here in front of me? I love the story of Martin because it, it got so famous, not because he gave so much, because he had so little and was willing to give what he had. You know, that word cape, capella, actually became this word chapel. Churches started getting called chapels, and Christians started getting called chaplains. You know what a chaplain is, and if you're in the police force, you, you, you have a chaplain. You're in the military, you have a chaplain. You're at the hospital, there's a chaplain. What are they there to do to meet people in the most critical, crisis-filled moments? That sprang from this story in the late 4th century. That whole idea of, of chapel and chaplaincy came from this moment right here where somebody just said, hey, I don't have much, but what I have, I'll just cut my cape in half and I'll give you what I have. For you and I to recognize, hey, there is a call for all of us to be obedient and responsive to opportunities. What I love too about this story, if you're looking at it, it's very simple. Simple needs are where Jesus is in this story. If you're jotting stuff down, get that because it's so important that we don't blow this out of proportion. We're very American sometimes, and we want to start a program. We're going to like, we're going to, a whole nonprofit. We are going to, we're going to, homelessness, we're just going to take care of it in all of Spokane, right? We're going to fix everything. And that place is, is okay in some sense, but what happens oftentimes is we get overwhelmed by that burden, and then we don't do anything. We talk about it, We strategize about it. We think about it a lot. We walk away from a sermon like this, and we're like, that was really convicting. And then do nothing. We just go back doing what we've always done. My hope in this conversation is to get us over that hump, that hump of being overwhelmed or consumed by the enormity of the need and just be willing to go, hey, there's a very simple need. It's food. It's drink. It's clothing, it's hospitality, it's a visit when somebody's sick or in prison. It is not rocket science. It is not us developing a whole new strategy for transforming our, our, our city or whatever. It's us showing up one person at a time, just recognizing the need in front of us and stepping into it. This, this kind of attitude and this heart in Jesus' church will change this city. You being who God has called you to be at your school, in your workplace, in these little simple moments at the mailbox, when your neighbor asks to borrow the lawnmower, whatever those little moments are, you're standing on the sideline with with these other families and cheering on your kids, those small, tiny, insignificant moments, those are the places where Jesus is. And he's standing there already ahead of you, waiting for one of his church to say, hey, there's a need. My Savior is there in the midst of that brokenness with them. Jesus is already there. 
He's there being their comfort. He's being their strength. And he's just waiting for one of us just to simply respond to that invitation. I believe this with all my heart. Every need you see is an invitation from God himself to get involved. For you to get off the dime, get off of our our excuses, our concerns, our questions. Well, what if I do this and it doesn't help? What if it's actually hurting them? What if I'm enabling them, Richie, right? We, We have all of these things that roll through our heads. And I am just asking you to trust Jesus with those questions and to do the piece that he would ask you to do. Sometimes he'll give you wisdom and say, no, this is not the best way to help. There is a way to help, but this isn't it. I'm going to help the way Jesus asked me to help. I'm going to get involved. I am going to obey. Your job is obedience, not the outcome. We judge the outcome way before we ever take the step of obedience, and we never get to obedience. And my, my encouragement to you is don't, don't, don't get so stressed about the outcomes and just do the obedience. Jesus is the miracle-working God who wants to take care of the outcomes the way he has in mind to take care of the outcomes. I am so concerned that Jesus' church shrink back, get self-centered, self-preserving, and that we find ourselves stuck spiritually, powerless, not experiencing the miracle of God working in our everyday, ordinary life, and that this is a form of godliness that actually denies the power of God. My, my, my concern is that we allow ourselves to just sit back in this place of disobedience as God is inviting his people to step beyond themselves in their little life that they're building for themselves and trust that he is working out there ahead of us and wants us to meet him in those places of need. It's very simple, these little spots of obedience that God wants us to be involved in. Don't get overwhelmed by the enormity of need. Just do for the one what you wish you could do for everybody. One person at a time. Just do that one thing for that one person. The outcomes will come however God ordains those outcomes. Jesus is in the middle of simple needs, and he asks for simple responses. Again, not starting a nonprofit as much as I love nonprofits, but just give them something to eat. A few years ago, we got an opportunity as a church to, um, I, I shouldn't even say as a church, as like a few of us. There was like an invitation to come out to Geiger Prison and um, there was an event for Asian Pacific Islander families that were incarcerated and get to like families and, you know, kids that hadn't seen dad and all of this to come together. And they did this big celebration festival. It was like culturally for me, it was so good. And um, our team got to lead some worship at it. Only white guy in the room got to preach at it. It was like really, really cool. Last week, uh, talked to a gentleman that was here. And uh, he said, hey, remember me? I'm like, I recognize you. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. API, Asian Pacific Islander Day at, at Geiger. Remember that? It was him and his wife. She's out here. He was in there. They organized the whole thing and put it together. And, and he's been in 10, 15 years. He's been in prison. And he gets out. One of the first places he comes is right here last Sunday. And he goes, hey, whatever you guys are doing, like, I want to be a part of this. I'm, I'm all in. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. Simple visits. You never know the outcomes of what God might do in these little moments, but God has an opportunity for every single one of you just to be obedient. And a simple response to his leading brings about a miraculous opportunity for God to show up and do what only God can do. We don't get tangled up in the outcomes. We just, we just worry about the obedience. 
And as a people, this is what makes the kingdom of God so powerful in our city, is ordinary people like you and I that really have no business doing what we're doing, just going, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how best to help. I don't have the money to help. I don't have the things figured out. I don't even know what to say, but I'm here. God told me to be here, so here I am. I want to help. I want to figure out how to jump into this need with you. And, man, that kind of heart, that willingness, God loves to show up in a miraculous way. He'll provide. He'll direct. He'll give you words to say. He will give you steps to take that you had no idea. Like, like I think about that, that church, that monastery in the 6th century. They didn't start a monastery so that with this grand strategy of one day we're going to turn this thing into a hospital. And you know when Rome is collapsing, then we'll kind of step in and show them who Jesus No, what they did. They were making disciples and disciples of Jesus go, hey, there's needs around us, and these people are sick. Can we help these people? And pretty soon those sick people grew into more and more sick people, and, and soon they had to reorganize their monastery and put some beds in, and, and, and before they knew it, they had an inn, and, and then pretty soon they had an entire hospital. Now and they're, they're figuring out how to care for the sick and the hurting and, and, and navigate this plague as a people. They're not running from the need. They're just trying to figure out how to be in the middle of the need and trusting that Jesus is going to lead them every single step of the way. I am the king of overcomplicating stuff. Anybody else? Let's not do that. Let's just obey simply, one step at a time, one person at a time, jump into the middle of the opportunity that God has for us. Where you see that need, hear that as an invitation from God himself. Will my people hear me, see me at that place of nakedness, that place of hunger, that place of thirst? Will they see me right there with those people in that place of brokenness? And will they be willing to step in? Man, that is what has made Jesus' church strong. The church, you think of it as a building or an organization or a group of people. All it is is individuals like you that have made a decision to make Jesus your king and listen to him when he speaks. Those kind of people are an enduring people. Those are the people that are setting up future generations to experience salvation. Because we didn't walk away when things were hard. We didn't give up because our life was so consumed with ourselves. We decided, you know what? I'm going to move beyond myself, and I'm going to serve people in need. Last thing I'll say about this passage. It's very sobering. Don't fool yourself. Don't allow this, like I said, to just be a, a nice conversation that we have today. A good convicting sermon. Oh yeah, I should do more of that. Eternal punishment and eternal life hang in the balance here. They will go away, verse 46, to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus is the judge and he's watching our lives. He's watching the, the softness of our hearts, the responsiveness don't fool yourself into thinking the kingdom of God is just about talk, knowledge, understanding. It's not just about a, a church attendance or, or, or having the right answers when you get into a conversation. It's about simple moments of obedience. That's why Jesus uses this picture of sheep and goats. It's kind of, both are awkward, right? Like, why... Why, why can't it be awesome like lions or something? Why sheep? 
Think about it, though. One described it like this. It's the difference between cats and dogs. Dogs, right? They're awesome, nice. They love you, and they want to be around you. Cats, they're demons, right? They just... They want to do their own thing all the time. All you cat lovers, I am sorry. I, I, whatever. But don't they they, 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 they just have a mind of their own. Goats are the same way. Rebellious. Go eat all your stuff. I don't care about any of you. I want to do my own thing. Sheep are on the right. Goats are on the left. Jesus has drawn a clear line here of delineation. Judgment is a real thing. It's important for us to hear this conversation so that we actually move off the dime and become a people of action, not a people of concept. Good talking, but a people of action. So my hope is that for every one of us this morning. It's not some big program we're starting. I'm just asking you to go be Jesus' church this week, to see a need, step in. I'm, I'm praying that there's gonna be thousands of stories that emerge out of simple moments where God clearly showed you who he was, his power, his work in somebody's life. where God clearly demonstrated that he can use somebody like you at your current status with all the brokenness you got going on. <laughs> I had a friend last service came up to me probably six months now. He's been stuck in a cycle of depression and just hurting came up to me after last service and he comes up frequently and I pray with him and we talk he came up at the end of the service he's like hey I'm here to pray for you today and I was like wow that's a good simple step of obedience that Jesus gave him I pray that you would have the courage to do the same this week that God would use you miraculously that this wouldn't be just a form of godliness but that this would actually be the power of God working in your life, saving you, changing you, using you, that lives would be impacted through you. And we wouldn't be a people that just talk a good game, but actually walk this thing out. Just stand to your feet today. I want to pray for you. Just close your eyes with me for a second. Jesus, you see every heart here. You know every story. You know every broken thing, every burden that we're carrying. And yet, God, you invite us beyond ourselves, beyond our insulation, beyond our self-preservation. You invite us, God, to a place of sacrifice and servanthood, a place of just seeing needs, God, and, and jumping in. I pray that you would empower your people today, this week, God, to be a people on a mission to be a people filled with courage, a people willing to say yes, a people, God, who will endure, a people who will move when you speak, God. And we ask you to show up there in miraculous ways. We ask you to demonstrate your power, your goodness. God, I ask, I beg of you, God, that you would make your presence known in every single one of these people's lives. God, the most doubtful heart in this room, God, would know your power in your presence. God, the one that's most burnt out, hurt, frustrated, God, would see, God, that you are there using them, want to work through them, God. I pray that you would demonstrate your power in a way that your church has never known, God, that people would be radically transformed, God, through simple acts of service, God. 
that we as your people would be empowered, encouraged, God, that you would strengthen us for the work, for the days that you have for us, Lord. We're trusting you, God, to be our provider, to be our strength, to be our hope, God. We love you with all our hearts, Jesus. And we know, God, that you're in this room now, saving souls, bringing conviction, leading us to next steps, God. We say yes. We say yes, Jesus. We love you. We need you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Over life, I do love you a ton. And I believe that God's going to use you this week. And any connect card or get in a group or giving envelope, you can drop those in the box as you leave. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your life, next steps you're taking, getting baptized. We'd love to help you take any of those steps. Our team will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. We love you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for joining us on the Real Life Spokane podcast. We exist to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. We love you so much, and we'll see you next time.